Amazing grace. Seems to be a theme we've got going on this morning about grace. So, the funny thing about grace is, with Christianity, is a lot of times it can be confusing. You know, a lot of people say, well, how could it be confusing? And Well, here's how. So grace, as it pertains to our salvation, is something that's a 100% free gift. We cannot earn it. We cannot add to it. As it pertains to our salvation, it's 100% what Jesus does. But as it pertains to our life, does it forgive us of our sin? If you're a follower of Jesus, the answer is yes. But the question is, because I have grace, does that mean whoop-de-doo? I can just do whatever I want. Well, if you read Romans, you know, Paul kind of goes deep into that and he'll say, no, that's not what it is. See, grace should inspire you. Grace should change you. As Bill was talking about, a guy who's one of the most evil people that you could think of was somehow transformed. So for the next few weeks, I want to talk about apps, application, how we take that grace and use that as fuel to live a different life. When you think about apps, it's really one of the biggest technological advancements we've seen in years. Do you know that there's a phone app that will help Charlie tune his guitar? I was conversing with a Spanish person, and my Spanish is pretty bad. I know a little bit because I was born and raised in Florida, but I'm kind of struggling, and somebody walked up and goes, here, talking to this. It was a translation app, and it actually worked. I mean, their apps will do almost anything. Store passwords, GPS tracking, there's Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. Get stuck in an airport, you're going to miss that ball game. No problem, just break out your phone, ESPN, watch ESPN app. Bam, there's the game. I've recently started fishing again. I didn't fish for like 20 years and kind of restored my dad's boat. And I don't have any technology on the boat, no fish finder, no, none of the electronic devices. But I found this app called Marine Ways. And it'll tell me how deep it is and all kind of stuff. I mean, applications that we have, I mean, it's just really amazing. You know, fitness apps, that's kind of the biggest thing that we got going on. Everybody's got a fitness app. And you know, recently I downloaded a fitness app. And by downloading it, I lost a couple of pounds. (laughs) And you guys are laughing. You're like, no, you didn't. What if I really believed in that app, would that cause me to lose weight by downloading it? What if I was so sincere? Would that cause me to lose weight by downloading the app? You're like, no, Lenny. The only way you're going to lose weight with that app is if you actually apply the principles that come with that app. So for a few weeks, I want to talk about that, about application of God's truth and God's Word in our life. Because, you know, yeah, we receive this grace, but we also have 66 books combined together into a Bible that kind of teach us how to walk out that grace and how to live in that grace. Believing is fine, intending to do things is fine, but it's actually what you do that makes the difference in your life. It's what you do. Now, somewhere along the line, the church as a whole... I'm not pointing the finger at us, but the church as a whole has lost kind of the vision of this simple truth. And you need to know this. And the other thing you need to know as we go into this, all the applications, all the things in the Bible, thou shalt do and thou shalt not do, was actually given 
to people who were already in a relationship with God. So you're familiar with the phrases Old Testament and New Testament. The word testament means covenant. Covenant. So all the laws, all the stuff in the Bible was given to a group of people that were in a covenant relationship with God. And maybe the best way for me to illustrate this is to talk about my neighbor's kids. Now, my neighbor's kids, I don't ever go over there and go, Now, Johnny, you need to be in bed at 9.30. I want you to wake up at this time. I want you to go here and do this and do that. I don't ever call up my neighbor and go, Hey, Roy, uh, I told Johnny he needs to be in bed at 9.30, is he? Well, why not? Because they're not my kids. So I don't give rules to people that aren't my kids. And in a similar fashion... God gives rules to who? His children, his kids. Here's my point. When it comes to biblical application, everybody can apply the stuff. However, there's a group of people that are supposed to apply the stuff that's in the Bible. And my other point with this is this. Somewhere along the way, the church has got all confused about this. You know, they look at their Bible and they look at their neighbor and they go, hey, they're not doing this very well. And as a result, the church has somewhat become judgmental at times. You should never expect someone who's not a Christian to act like a Christian. But those of us who are, we should look at the Bible and take it seriously. It's the same as me expecting my neighbor's kids to do what I say. And the scriptures were given to people who already had a relationship with God and were supposed to follow God. And if you've ever felt judged by a church person... You know, that's the church person's problem, not yours. So for some reason, generations and generations, the church has had a tendency to judge outsiders. And I say all this to say this. Biblical application, if you're a follower of Jesus, it should apply to your life. However, if people who are outside of the church apply biblical truth, do you think it benefits them? It absolutely does. It's kind of like sunscreen. You know what I mean? I don't have to believe in sunscreen. If it's real sunscreen and I put it on, it'll protect me from getting burnt. And one of the things to understand about God's do this and don't do that, and we sometimes we're like, golly, man, why are all these rules? Why? Why does God give us all these rules? Because God knows us intimately. He knows the world, and He wants to protect us. God gives us rules to protect us, to guard us, to instruct us, because He loves us. Sometimes we think they're restricting and confining, but actually, as we're going to see as we go into this series, they're freeing. They're really freeing. And the bottom line is this. At the end of the day, as followers of Christ, it's not really so much what we believe to be true that changes our lives. It's what we do that changes our lives. You're like, man, is that grace? Grace pertains to salvation, okay? But there are consequences in our life to everything that we do. Newton got it right. Every action has what? An opposite and equal reaction. It's just the way of the universe. It's the way God designed the world. And so for us, everything we do impacts those around us and all of us. And here's the thing. Here's what I want you to do. Today, I'm just kind of a opening about application and apps and then for a few weeks we're going to look at some different applications but here's what i want you to understand application makes all the difference in your life believing is a good first step but until you begin doing you will not see the benefits of god's word in your life 
Now, there's two people in the Bible that really camped out on this. Jesus is one of them. But there's another guy, and we're going to look at the book that he wrote today. His name's James. And James was the brother of Jesus. And I always love when I think about James, I think one of the things that really gives me a lot of faith is, I ask this question, what would your brother have to do to convince you he was the son of God? I mean, seriously, what would your brother have to do? I'm the son of God. And in fact, if you read scripture, you know, Jesus' family thought he was nuts. They're like, go out there and get him. He thinks he's the son of God. And they tried to talk him out of it. His own family really didn't get it and didn't understand it. But somewhere along the line, James had a change of heart, you know, because they crucified him. And then he rose again. And James was like, oh. And in fact, James became one of the leaders in the new church. And he has a lot to say about application. So we're going to look at a few verses in the book of James and, uh, and some things that Jesus has to say about application. Again, the bottom line is this. It's what you do that makes the difference. Application is everything. And application makes all the difference. So we're going to start out with James. We're going to look first few verses in James chapter 1. And he says this. But don't just listen to God's word. You must what? You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're fooling yourselves. You're fooling yourselves. Anybody know the band Sticks? <clears throat> Would you like to hear me sing for you? Yeah. They're like, no, you're a drummer. Please don't sing. If I had a drum kit, it would sound good. But uh, what is that? You're fooling yourself if you don't believe it. You're killing yourself if you don't believe it. And that's kind of what it's taken from this verse, right? Absolutely not. It doesn't say you're fooling yourself if you don't believe it. It says you're fooling yourself if what? You don't do it. Exactly. Here's the thing. Check it out. What you truly believe in, you will do. Think about that. Think about that. The stuff you believe in, you actually apply. If I believed that I could put my shoe on eBay and it would sell for 10 grand today, would I just believe in that? Or would I actually respond? I, see, I would probably say, sorry, Bill, you got to finish the message. I'd run out of here, put my shoe on eBay because I need that 10 grand, right? Yeah, see, the things. Okay. What's that? Yeah, that's right. If, as long as I tithe and give a thousand, I mean, see, the things that you believe in, you do. Tithing's a great illustration. People, you know, I'm like, do you believe in tithe? Oh, I believe in tithe. Do you tithe? No. The things that you believe in, you will do. And that's just a truth. And this verse is remarkable. I mean, it was written a couple of thousand years ago, but it's relevant today. This is what he's saying. Here's the implication. He says there's going to be a tension with those of us who are church people who listen, and in listening, we fool ourselves. To which we ask the question, what do you mean merely listening results in fooling ourselves or deception? Here's what he's going to tell us. He's going to tell us that this happens every single Sunday in church. In fact, it's happening right today. Because in our church culture, as was the case in synagogue culture 2,000 years ago, there was a sense in which people thought, you know, if I'm in the building, I get credit. I mean, I woke up, I went to church, I endured 30 minutes of that drummer talking about Jesus or, or the scripture. I mean, so, you know, when I go to the mall this week, you know, God, come on, I get that space. 
There's a sense in church culture, and it was the same back then 2,000 years ago, where it's like, if I go through the motion, if I go to church, if I listen, somehow God gives me credit. My boss is going to recognize me at work. We feel like God looks at us in church and goes, I'm so happy you're in the building. God's like, oh, they're in the building. And then we think, because we're here sitting in rows and during it, it's like, I was awake 90% of the time, God. And I was paying attention 20% of the time. And this is just American culture. And this is the church culture that we live in. And this was the culture 2,000 years ago. Not much has changed. Okay? We think sometimes because we're, we attend the service, we're more spiritual people. We're, we're better religious people. Now, I'm not saying church is not important. Church is the hope of the world. Church is Jesus' plan that we would come together, combine our talents and that together we could do so much more. Another thing that happens is people confuse conviction with being close to God. Have you ever heard a sermon and you kind of kind of got you in the heart and you're like, oh man, I need to make some changes. Have you ever done that? Well, what I've noticed over the years is a lot of times people come in, they'll be convicted a little bit and they'll confuse that with kind of being close to God. Now the Holy Spirit does convict. That happens to me. Sometimes I'll listen to a sermon online. I'm like, man, or I'll be reading the Bible. I'm like, man. But here's the goal of the Holy Spirit convicting your heart. It's not that you would just be convicted and have this religious experience, but that you would actually what? Change something in your life. Apply some truth to your life. But there's this weird thing that happens in church culture. If we listen and we feel something and we've been in the building, it seems like we think we get credit for doing something spiritual. And James, the brother of Jesus, he goes, you know what? If that's how you think, you're actually fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. And and let me tell you who gets this. Non-Christians get this. Non-Christians understand. They're like, because people go to church and they're kind of judgmental. They're non-Christian friends. And sometimes they have a tendency to look down at them. And the non-Christians are like, man, I know you get up and go to church. But when I look at your life, you're no different than me. You know what I mean? And then we wonder, why has the church lost its saltiness? Why don't we have more impact on those around us? And sometimes it's just because we're not applying God's truth to our lives. Aren't you so glad you came today for this uplifting message about grace? So James, the brother of Jesus, says this. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. And then James, because he's so brilliant, he gives us the most amazing illustration. Here's what he says. He says, for if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror, you see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. And what James is saying is this. He's saying, a person that comes and sits in rows and listens to what he needs to do and says, oh, wow, yeah, I need to do that. I need to stop doing that. And then walks out the door and doesn't do anything about it. It's exactly like getting up in the morning, looking at your hair being all messed up, and just going, okay, and walking out and not doing anything about it. Now, once you pass about 12 years old, you don't do this anymore, right? I remember my little brothers, they're three and a half years younger than me, and they had this bushy, blonde hair. And I remember, you know, I get to be like 13, and I'm starting to notice girls. And I had this little black plastic thing that I kept in my back pocket. 
I come. And man, I mean, I'm making sure every hair's in place. And my brother's just bouncing and their hair's all over the place. And they just didn't care. Why? Well, because they were immature. They weren't quite as mature as I was in life. You know what I mean? But that illustration also applies to this. See, if you're not a mature person in Christ, okay, that's understandable. But once you get to a place where you're walking with God for some time, where you're in community, where you're serving, you, when you become mature, you start to make adjustments in your life. You recognize the imperfections and you make changes. You know, when I was in high school, some of you know, I was a little hard to handle. So uh, when I was 16, my parents started like just swapping me. They were divorced. It was like, okay, you handle him for a second. Oh, I can't handle him. You got to take him for a little while. And so I grew up in Gainesville. Most of you know that. But then my dad lived in South Georgia. And I went from Gainesville, Florida to South Georgia. Now, this was culture shock. Okay, I mean, it was only a couple hours away, but man, like a world of difference. It was like going to a different country, completely, totally different. But what made the transition bearable was the girls. Because when I went into South Georgia, I'm like, man, what is up with the girls here? They are all so pretty. And as I was going through this text, I remember my first date I had in South Georgia. And the girl was like totally out of my league. I don't know if dating a foreigner was attractive to her or what. But, but anyway, I'm on my way to pick her up. And I get there and I knock on the door and her parents are there. But guess what? She's not there. Can you imagine going to pick some girl up on a date? She's not even there. So was I offended? Not at all. You know, I sat down and waited. Why? Because, you know, she was hot. And it took a few minutes for her to show up. But I'll never forget this. So when she shows up. Her dad runs out of the house and they whisk her around the back. They don't even let me see her. I don't know if she's a beach set. I don't know what she was doing, but apparently, I don't know. They just didn't want me to see her. So they said, okay, now she's getting ready. Her father said it'll be about 30 minutes. And her mother laughed. <laughs> just go ahead and get comfortable, young man. It's not going to be 30 minutes. And I'm thinking 30 minutes. Who can't get ready in 30 minutes, right? 30 minutes goes by. 45, an hour, an hour and a half goes by. An hour and 45 minutes goes by. And she comes out and man, she looked beautiful. There's only one problem. When I was a kid, I was a fan of the show Planet of the Apes. And I remember that it took Roddy McDowell three hours to transform him from a man to an ape. So what can a girl do in an hour and 45 minutes? I don't know. But I'm telling you, man, that girl was unbelievable. Now, I still don't know what she looked like when her father met her in the driveway. But an hour and 45 minutes, I don't know. James says this. He says, do you know what the problem is? And he's talking to us Christians. He says, you're more committed to things that don't make that big of a difference than you are to things that make all the difference. See, whether you get every hair in place or your makeup is perfect has nothing to do with the direction and quality of your life. But the rest of what Scripture teaches about your money, your morality, your relationships, your marriage, the way you treat your kids, the way you honor your parents, the way you handle yourself at work, your integrity, all those things determine the direction and quality of your entire life. And if you're more committed to fixing what you see in the mirror, which matters little than you are... that things that matters much 
He's saying you're fooling yourself. Because you show up at church and look awesome. and It's like a guy who gets up in the morning. This is how we do religious talk. He goes, I really need to shower, but I don't think I am. Someone at work smells you and goes, hey, man, did you shower? And I say, no, I need to, though. You know, I go to a small group, and I'm really ripe. And they go, Lenny, did you get your water turned off? You need to shower. And I say, would you pray for me, please? And they pray, and I feel bad, and I have this religious experience. I don't actually want to do something. I just want to feel bad about it. I want people to pray for me. And here's my point. Sometimes that's the way we do Christianity. We kind of get confused. We think, man, if I just feel bad and if I just pray. James is saying it's what you do that matters. James is saying be honest and be transparent. It's not what you intend to do. It's not what you ought to do. It's not even what God convicts you to do that matters. It's what you do. He continues. But if you look carefully into the perfect law, which the law is like a mirror. It shows you yourself. That sets you free. You know, some ladies have one of those look carefully mirrors. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? No, y'all ladies don't know. My wife has one. So when I'm walking in the bathroom, like sometimes I get up at night and I got to go to the bathroom. My wife has this like swinging mirror with all these lights on it. And sometimes I scare myself because it like magnifies and makes my head look like it's that big. So sometimes I'm walking by and I just kind of look in there and I'm like, oh, and then I go, oh yeah, that's my wife's mirror. A lot of times we look at ourselves in the mirror and we don't make changes in our lives. And what I'm talking about is the scripture, what God tells us to do. He says, if you look carefully into the perfect law, that's the scriptures that sets you free. And oftentimes we think, you know, all these rules are not going to set me free, but they are freeing. You know, things aren't always the way they seem. When I was uh, young and playing in bands, some of us smoked uh, illegal cigarettes. And it seemed like freedom when we were doing it. It felt like freedom initially. It didn't take long for me to realize that that was bondage. Freedom came with sobriety. You know, when I got my first credit card, it was amazing. It gave me so much freedom. I could just swipe, 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 swipe. People would be going out to dinner, you know, after church. And, you know, some people were like, oh, I can't really afford it. But I'm like, I can. I got this little thing. I can go. And it felt like freedom at first. Until, you know, after a while, a year later, I'm paying interest on a hamburger I bought a year before. And what do we know as adults? That that's not really freedom, is it? Freedom came when I disciplined myself to pay off the debt. When I became debt free. The Word of God is freedom-giving if you trust. Not if you believe, not if you listen, but if you apply. And I could go on and on with illustrations on this, but I'm just telling you, man, I'm more convinced than ever that James is right. Because if you will experience it, you don't know it initially, but you will experience it eventually if you apply it. And he says this, He says, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you what? If you do, okay? Then God will what? He'll bless you. Yeah, He will bless you. He says, if you do what it says. In other words, if you apply it. And in the original language, it means repetition. You kept doing it. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, 
I'm going to show you a different translation of this. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer. Isn't that amazing that James knew that we would do this? We'd go into churches, we'd listen, and then we would just kind of forget. But what? An effectual doer. Meaning you can't go home and apply it for a day and expect immediate results. Oftentimes people, myself is a great example. I spent like 20 years messing my life up. And do you know God didn't straighten it up in a day? It took some time. I had to begin applying God's truth to my life. And eventually, things began to change. And the longer you apply biblical truths, the more results you see. In a month, you'll see more results. In two months more. In six months more. Will everything be perfect in your life? No. Not life in a fallen world. However, after 17 plus years of doing pastoral ministry, I want to tell you this. I want you to get this. Listen, most of people's problems I've counseled were self-inflicted wounds. Because they just didn't apply God's worth to their life. See, bottom line is this. Application makes all the difference. Doing makes all the difference in your life. Salvation, free gift of God. But that grace ought to change you. It's not believing. It's not hearing. It's not listening. It's not note-taking, elbow-poking. I ought to. Doing is what makes all the difference. And here's my timeless truth for you today. You might have heard me say this before. It's one of my things. Unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. The benefit is in the application. It's simple, but it's profound. Part of our house, we're doing the siding on it, and we hired some help because my wife wouldn't let me get on a ladder with my back, but we're going to paint it all ourselves to save some money. Now, what if you guys came over? On a, and I'm not, I'm not hinting for help. But, but what if you came over to do, help me out one day and y'all all looked and Charlie goes, hey man, you need some paint on there. What if I took Charlie in my garage and go, well, Charlie, I got all the paint. It's right there. And Charlie goes, well, see, I don't even have to do I got the paint. I got it. I believe in the paint. It's right there. And Charlie goes, Lenny, <laughs> you got to put it on. You see, my house would not look different until I applied the paint. And unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. You can know it. You can believe in it. You can, but until you apply it, what good does it do? You know, at the end of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that you could spend your whole life going, oh, i got to work on this. Here's his summary statement. Here's what he said. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Do you know it's difficult to build your house on a rock foundation? Because the foundation's unforgiving. I mean, everything has to be square. Everything has to be perfect. All the measurements must be precise. It doesn't seem to be the best way initially. He goes on, verse 25, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. When you build your life on the rock of Jesus Christ, you will face difficult situations, but your foundation, your faith will see you through. Verse 26, he goes on to say this, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. 
And the people who were hearing this would have known this well. They lived in a desert region. There's a lot of sand, a lot of rock. Do you know it's a lot easier to build a house on sand? Because it's forgiving. It's a forgiving foundation. It doesn't have to be precise. It doesn't have to be square. It's much easier initially. But he goes on, verse 27. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. See, there's things that you can do in life that are easier initially. But you know what? When the rains come, and in life, do rains come? Do winds come? We live in a fallen world. Do things come that are difficult? Yeah. And what Jesus is saying is, man, if you'll listen to me, I know it's going to be harder initially. It's going to be like building a house on the rock. You know, I'm telling you, do it this way and do it that way. It's going to be harder. It's not going to feel like freedom. But long term, for those of us who follow Christ, if we'll trust him and his word and what he says, you're going to come out ahead. But see, it's the doing that makes the difference. It's the doing. You know, I talk to people about Christianity, and and oftentimes they say, yeah, I tried that. It didn't work for me. And I'll ask what they did specifically, and it's always the same thing. I went to church. I even stayed awake for a while, you know. Here's the thing. They, They often say, religion doesn't work. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. See, that's the difference between Christianity. Yes, it's grace. You know what I mean? But if I'm just doing, 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 as far as going to church, listening, it just never works. But watch this. Application. We take that grace. We go, okay, Lord, I've got this amazing future with you. Lord, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to trust your word. And I begin to apply it. I begin to see results. So what I want to do is just spend a few weeks looking at applications that are critical. And here's what I'm going to pray for you and for me, because I preach to myself, guys, that as these applications are held up in front of us, that we would stare at them with the same intentionality that we stare in the mirror in the morning. When I put this hair goo, you know the stuff I put in my hair to make it all spiked up? I look at it real close and make sure. Sometimes it doesn't come out right, does it? Sometimes you have to fix my collar. My collar was all messed up this morning. But I'm going to pray that over these next few weeks, as we look at biblical applications, that as we see these things in God's Word, that we would look at them the same way we look in the mirror every day. That we would refuse to quit staring at them until we make the adjustments that are necessary. And my prayer is that for the next few weeks as we go through this series, that every single morning, watch this, as you walk into the bathroom and look at yourself, that you would remember this conversation we're having this morning. Can we make a deal with each other that we would just do that for a few weeks? Okay, you're going to go in there and you're going to go, I remember what Lenny said about Bible application. Because here's the one thing, I don't want to sound religious. I don't want you to think, oh, golly, man, why do we have to, golly, that's so rigid. Here's the thing that I've learned. That the things that the Bible say for us to do and not to do are for our benefit. Here's what I've learned. They work. Biblical truth, when applied to your life, changes your life. It makes everything different. People around you begin to notice. And what does it say? If you hear these words of mine and do them, what? God will what? I found that to be true. It's not, we're not like every other religion. Do this 
at this time, bow down, do all these things. No, but these are life applications, how to treat people, how to, how to do your work and do your job, how, you know, your integrity level. People see these things. And so when you think about the effort you make to looking great before you go off to work, I want you to ask this question. Am I making the same effort in the areas of my life where God would have me make adjustments in my application? Because if that becomes the driving force of our lives, James, the brother of Jesus, makes this promise. He will bless you in what you do. Because here's my point. Here's the message for today. And this is just opening because I'm going to do a few weeks in this series. Application is everything. Application makes all the difference. Unapplied truth is like unapplied pain. The benefit is in the application. Pray with me. Father, I pray for myself and everyone that can hear my voice, Lord Jesus, that as we go through this series for a few weeks, Lord, looking into your word and your truth, that you would convict everyone in here, Lord, that we need to apply your truth to our lives. Lord, as we apply this, you bless us, you meet us there. I pray that you would show us wonderful things, that there would be great results in our lives, Lord. Not just in our lives, but those that are around us, Lord. Because, Lord, your word is freeing. Your word is liberating, Lord, as Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't just listen. Do trust. Lord, help us to trust. I think about that little children's song, Trust and Obey. Trust and Obey. Lord, we as adults are still learning that lesson. I'm learning it. Help us to trust. Help us to do what you tell us to do so that we can see the difference. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And the congregation said? Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you.